everyone we are going deep today uh there's so much stuff i want to talk to you guys about but before i can start spending all of my theories and explanations for life um we all have to be on the same page and coming from the same place so we're gonna do a little foundation laying um maybe it will be a recap for you that's good if it is otherwise get ready to think because we're gonna go like a whirlwind through some of this stuff but first i just wanted to say thanks for listening um doing this is definitely bringing meaning to me and i hope that you guys are getting something out of it if you haven't subscribed to the podcast you should also make sure you're following the sda millennial facebook page so you can see all my funny videos and different things um i'm gonna try to do some more serious videos too like for example i was thinking of doing like a tldr kind of short excerpt of some of the podcast stuff as a video um so we'll see about that also follow the at sda millennial instagram if you're not already because i have more jokes and stuff on there and that is also a fun time um and you guys are the best and it makes me feel like i'm not alone if you're laughing at the same things that i'm laughing at okay now that all of that is out of the way Today we are going to talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, First I'm going to hit on needing to be productive versus being lazy um, and a miserable good for nothing which is more often than not what I am. Um, And then we're going to try to do some lightning rounds on origins, arguments for God's existence, free will, why bad things happen, and if I can cram it in Revelation 13 and why we apply two different standards to human relationships and our relationship to God. Okay. Whew. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through all this, but it's going to be packed, so put your seatbelt on. Here we go. So, you guys, what do you do when you only have 24 hours in a day, you have 32 hours worth of things you need to do, and the motivation for about three and a half hours? Um, you know those Venn diagrams people post on social media, like the, the overlapping circles, and it says, pick two, either study for school, have a social life, or sleep. Um, like, that's cute college students. Uh, you guys know it's much worse once you are out of school because work takes up your entire day and then you have no energy. Uh, you still have to keep your house from turning into a hoarder's episode, which mine is right now, by the way. Um, you have to feed yourself. You need to exercise. You need sleep. Uh, but then you also have hobbies and interests or just straight up time to relax, not to mention social activities. And I almost forgot being a responsible Christian and doing your devotions like I'm getting stressed just thinking about all the things um yeah so the reason I'm thinking about this is because this Adventist millennial thing has been so much fun for me but holy freaking cow it's so much work um there's so much that I'm used to doing like reading keeping up with pop culture in movies and tv staying informed on current events listening to my favorite podcasts Ah! Like, um, I don't know. What do you guys do when, one, uh, you need to combat laziness because I know I'm squandering a lot of my day, um, and then even if I wasn't squandering half the day, there's the fact that I have more to do than I could in a day even if I was being productive all the time. So... I don't know what the solution is. If I have something really specific and tangible to work on, like this podcast, for example, I can be disciplined in that one thing and go hard working at it. Um, But it's only one thing at a time, and let's be honest, I'm not very good at sustaining it. So if I'm doing really good with my diet and exercise, I'm killing it. Everything else is a shambles. If I have friends, 
I gain 15 pounds. If I'm working on the podcast, I lose touch with the outside world. It's that whole diagram thing of just pick two. And then to make things even worse, you have these a-holes who go around saying things like successful people just simply wake up at 4 a.m. and read six books and work out for two hours and then crush it on a consistent basis and make a million dollars. Like, is that a real thing? I don't know. I'm not convinced. Uh, so here's what I'm going to try to do. The only thing uh, left that I can think of to do, I'm going to start microdosing LSD. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to start micro-dosing LSD. Um, that would be funny, though, wouldn't it? Go listen to the episode from Reply All about that if you are interested in that kind of thing. It's kind of, I don't know, maybe don't go down that path of psychedelics. But anyway, back to what I was talking about. For real, um, the real thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take the one main thing that I'm focusing on, which is my Adventist Millennial content, and then I'm going to only add one other thing, and that's praying the crap out of my issues. Uh, because here's something that I realized. I have no discipline. Well, I didn't realize that. It's just a brute fact. I have no motivation, no strength of will. I'm a lazy bum. Um, and I was thinking about this the other day. You know how everyone always says, you have to surrender your will to God and let him, you know, take control or whatever. Well, I was thinking for the first time that I've always understood that explanation to be that God wants you to forfeit your will and submit to him as in just letting him basically take control and therefore you're releasing your responsibility. But I don't think that's it. I think the surrender thing is like not giving up your will, but just letting, releasing control of your life in order to get reinforcement. Because we don't have the strength on our own, we don't have the stamina, um, and maybe if you really focus everything, all your energy, into throwing your whole consciousness toward God, uh, the surrender part is, uh, you're consciously choosing that to do that and using your will to do that, but you're giving him room to help bring you up to a potential that you'd never reach on your own. This is a theory. I don't know. Is this a nuanced difference? Because when I was thinking about it, it seemed like a huge, earth-shattering, drastic difference. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm going to try it and see what happens, so I'll let you know. Okay, we could probably do a whole episode on each of the topics I'm about to go through, but this is going to be more like a sweeping overview where I hit each one briefly without deep explanation um and maybe we'll come back to them later if people are interested so for now hold on to your hat because i'm about to rip through these first origins um to me this is the cornerstone of any philosophical line of thinking if you're debating any subject and i mean any subject um from a philosophical point of view you can easily just move back and back and back until you're at why is there something instead of nothing? Um, and in my experience, and yes, <laughs> I've gotten myself tangled up in a lot of these arguments, um, Origins is the inevitable end track when two people disagree on underlying premises, but both have the stamina to argue through to the end. Because it's really hard to argue anything, free will, God, evolution, meaning, etc., without some underlying assumptions. And if you're both dialoguing genuinely, 
um, what ends up happening is you keep uncovering discrepancies in your assumptions and stepping the debate back to find out if you have any common assumptions. And so at the end of that track, you're at origins, inevitably, <laughs> which is very closely tied with the existence of God, because obviously one of the commonly held explanations for origins is a supernatural initiator, whether that be God or aliens or whatever. So without going into every theory about origins, basically I want to start here just laying out sort of the jumping off point for my assumptions um, so that at least we're on the same base level. If, if someone doesn't necessarily agree with those assumptions, at least we've set them out. Alright, no one can prove their theory of origins. It's not something you can objectively show or test, so no matter what you believe, uh, you're putting an equal amount of guessing into it as anybody else. And if someone who rejects the idea of God, as Christianity describes God, if they're being honest, they will admit that there's the same provability of God creating us as, say, the Big Bang Theory. Um, that is, there is none. You can't prove either. So God is, is as good an explanation for our, our existence as any other explanation. Um, but then the question becomes, does he actually exist? We don't know where we came from, and because inquiring minds want to know, uh, you can try to test it out test out whether God exists by just putting him in as a possibility for our origin and then running with that to see how far you can get before you hit something impassable, philosophically impassable. Um, then that leads us to the question of, if God is the explanation, who is he and what does he want from us? Uh, well, basically, it's also very difficult to prove God's existence, uh, and that in itself tells us something about him. Uh, he apparently is pretty hands-off. He's not in your face all the time saying, hello, I'm God, I created you, um, and maybe that means he's impartial, maybe it means he doesn't care, maybe it means that he just created us and left us here, or maybe it means he's given us free will, um, and that would have implications too. So now, uh, we're going to get into free will versus determinism. I realize that I'm breezing through these points without much explanation or counter-argument, uh, but go with me for the purposes of this. Uh, determinism says that we don't necessarily choose what we do. We're more programmed and outcomes are set. We simply have the illusion of choice. Uh, free will, on the other hand, says that we roam around the universe and we have responsibility for our outcome because we have the sentience to choose either one path or another. Free will is dangerous. Free will is scary. Um, it's a lot of pressure and responsibility. A lot of things can go wrong, um, but I think on a pretty basic instinctual level, we can all see that we have free will. Um, if you want to get down into the nitty-gritty details with someone like Sam Harris, for example, you can explain anything away until you conclude that we're just an algorithm basically playing out an inevitable sequence of events. Um, and you could make those arguments, but here today we're going with we have free will um and i and i think just instinctually we kind of lean towards that anyway just humanity in general all right so to recap so far we have god is responsible for our origins and subsequent to that he granted us free will and then kind of dusted his hand as it seems and sat back um because he's not 
here interfering with our lives on a daily basis um, in obvious ways. All right, so now on that groundwork, we can tackle why good things happen to bad people. Uh, free will is the key here. If you're free to do what you want to do and I'm free to do what I want to do, that opens up the very real possibility that I'll do something bad to you and you'll do something bad to me. The only way that you can ensure that neither of us will act badly is if we lose our freedom and therefore our ability to act badly. Um, and so far God has not taken our freedom away. Sometimes we do take each other's freedom away and that is not a great thing as demonstrated by the rest Russian gulags, the Ukrainian Holodomor, Nazi Germany, Mao's China, Mussolini, Stalin, Vladimir Lenin, Karl Marx, North Korea, and the Kim family, the Castros in Cuba, and would-be Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Beto O'Rourke. So, um, if you want off this ride because of that joke just now, we can have a side conversation later, uh, privately, but for now, we'll all laugh at the joke and go on to the next lightning round. Um, so if we have free will... And because we have free will, that's why bad things are allowed to happen. Um, what then? Well, my friends, this is the money point. Um, it's the framework for my favorite part. The great key to the locket. The round peg for the round hole. The all spark. The blue heart of the ocean jewel. Uh, whatever you want to call it. This is the setup for the great controversy as described in the Bible and expounded on uniquely by Ellen White in the Adventist movement. This is the reason I'm still here in the church. So here's the idea of the great controversy in a bird's eye view. God created the universe to be perfectly cohesive with natural laws of love and selflessness. Um, this is the utopian premise that if everyone puts everyone else first, everyone is then cared for. Um, but it only works if everyone is being equally selfless. Because as soon as one person prioritizes themselves over everyone else, the whole system just collapses. Um, the other key piece is that everyone has to choose to be selfless. You can't force people into it. Uh, that's why it's never worked here on Earth. Refer back to the aforementioned utopian authoritarians. Um, because everyone here is selfish and you have to maintain both pillars, being universal selflessness and free will, um, for it to be able to work. And you're not going to get both, not here on earth, um, and we'll get to why. Um, but anyway, back to God creating this actual real utopia. He created the angels and Lucifer was the covering cherub. He was like the numero uno of the created beings. But then he decided that it was unfair that he was excluded from the inner circle of the Godhead. He was salty that Jesus was above him and he resented being created rather than creator. Um, and so he collapsed the system. He broke the tension of everyone being selfless that was um, keeping the unity from falling to pieces. Uh, so he started telling everyone that the way God created the universe was a lie. The natural law, the laws of love and unselfishness, um, were a trick to get everyone to obey God. But really, they were just made up, and if you didn't live by them, um, that would be real freedom because 
you'd be subject to yourself instead of subject to God. This was what his lie was. So he defamed God's motives and his character and accused him of coercing and oppressing his creations. Um, now you have all the angels questioning whether this is true because they had never considered this even as an option, so they were being lied to either by God or by Satan. Well, now God is in a sticky situation because his law of unselfish love only works with complete freedom uh, because as you know, you can't be forced into love. So if God wanted a shot at his creations truly loving him the way that he loved them, he was going to have to leave them free to not love him if they didn't want to. Uh, so now he had to answer Lucifer's accusations. He couldn't just shut him up or take action against Lucifer because that would basically confirm everything that was being levied against him um, as an accusation. But then, on the other hand, if he left Lucifer to run amok and try his self-centered defiance of the way God designed the universe, he was going to inevitably wreak havoc and cause a lot of pain. But... Of the two horrible options, the only one God could take without becoming a tyrant was to let Lucifer run amok. So the idea of the great controversy is that the earth was created and set in place as a testing ground. God versus Satan, selfishness versus love, freedom versus slavery, um, which was which and who was telling the truth about it. Because, uh... Lucifer had pretty successfully inverted the arguments or the rhetoric so that the only way to interrogate which was true was to act them out and see in practice. Um, but in order for the experiment to work, the humans on Earth who were involved in the experiment had to not only be free, but they also had to be subject to Lucifer's twisted version of reality, selfishness. Now, if you haven't read the book, or at least chapter one of Patriarchs and Prophets, um, it's a really good chapter and it walks through kind of this whole idea. Uh, here, I'll just give you one quote from page 42. Satan had made it appear that he himself was seeking to promote the good of the universe. The true character of the usurper and his real object must be understood by all. He must have time to manifest himself by his wicked works. The discord which his own course had caused in heaven, Satan charged upon the government of God. All evil he declared to be the result of the divine administration. He claimed that it was his own object to improve upon the statutes of Jehovah. Therefore, God permitted him to demonstrate the nature of his claims, to show the working out of his proposed changes in the divine law. His own work must condemn him. Satan had claimed from the first that he was not in rebellion. The whole universe must see deceiver unmasked. Okay, so now with all of that context in mind, you can go back and ask, is it fair that we're here on earth? Subject to pain and suffering and evil and selfishness, we didn't have a choice about it. We didn't ask for it. Um, all of that is true. But then after you ask that, you should also ask, did God do it to us? Is it his fault? Or was it his only option in a choice of two terrible options. Yes, 
God is all-powerful and he can do anything he wants, but in order to maintain his character, he limits himself in how he deals with his creations because maintaining our free ability to love or reject him is his number one priority. Okay, so now with this whole tableau in your mind, ask this question. Is what you believe about God true or a lie? I know I mentioned in another episode how much it bothers me that we have two different standards that we apply to our relationships. We have one standard that we apply to human relationships and one we apply to God. Um, I think this is a very deftly crafted lie. Uh, here's what I mean. Take the example of a parent and a child. We see over and over again that in a healthy parent-child relationship, every act toward the child is love. There's extreme forbearance, extreme forgiveness, extreme tolerance, and yes, when necessary, there's discipline, but only to the point of preventing worse outcomes than the pain of a short-lived restraint or punishment to warn against a larger danger. We all understand that when a human parent loves their child completely, it doesn't matter what the child does. The parent won't turn on them. But what so much of Christianity tells us about God is that, no, no, there's a different standard for God. Um, he's God. Therefore, he's justified in executing some retributive justice on his creations for disobeying or being bad or whatever whatever it is. Uh, but this is exactly the kind of thing Lucifer has been accusing God of since the very start, and we swallow it like a four-inch horse pill that we know in our hearts is wrong, but that's just the way it is, because God is so much higher than us and so beyond questioning. Um, we have our human understanding of relationships, and then we have God, way off somewhere, holding things against us, waiting to give us what we've got coming to us, and somehow that's twisted and shoehorned into the word love when it's the exact opposite. Um, it's the exact lie that God has subjected himself to from the very beginning, and he was willing to be misunderstood in that way in order to allow us to be free. Let me say it a, a different way, or maybe again, the same way. God was willing to allow himself to be misunderstood as a tyrant in order to allow us free will. I'd probably just cut out like 45 seconds of just nothing because that whole, that concept just, it leaves me without words. This is the unselfishness of God. This is one of the issues that I can't understand. The concept that I just walked through is such an incredibly compelling explanation of why we're here, why things are the way they are, and who God is, that it baffles me how Adventists can simultaneously hear and repeat the great controversy as a belief and maintain that God's justice will act in retribution to those who reject him. Um, just because we don't believe that God burns us to death for all eternity doesn't make him burning us for a hot second any less tyrannical. 
or any less contradictory to everything the great controversy tells us about the lie Lucifer told about God. Okay, so now you have to deal with the cognitive dissonance of simultaneous opposing philosophies. On one hand, you have God requires obedience, and if you don't obey, he'll kill you. On the other hand, you have God in the middle of an exhibition to disprove Lucifer's claims that God simply wants your obedience or for you to die. Um, and you can't hold these two thoughts at the same time without exploding. You either have to turn your mind off or anesthetize yourself to one or the other of them. And unfortunately, I think we more often anesthetize ourselves to the real picture of who God is um, and how loving he is. Um, and I know it's hard for people because it requires them to fundamentally change foundational things that they've believed about why Jesus had to die and pay for our sins. But trust me, if there's an explanation for origins, existence, God, freedom, reality, love, um, you better believe there's a freaking explanation for the cross that doesn't leave God as a tyrant. And I can't wait to get to all of that because it's so helpful and so intellectually satisfying. I think a lot of times intellectuals um, twist themselves into pretzels trying to explain things in the most complicated, convoluted way, but I really think the most consistent and satisfying and, frankly, warm and fuzzy um, construction for our reality is as straightforward yet infinitely deep as what I just blazed through in 20 minutes or however long it was. Um, okay, so if you're not reeling right now and feeling shook and unsettled and a little discombobulated, um, you either weren't listening or you're already over here in the theological fringe with me, so welcome. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear what you guys think. If you have pushback, if you have revelations from, uh, what we went through, uh, you know, don't leave me here in my own echo chamber. Message me on Instagram or on Twitter at SDA Millennial. Subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, share my content with your friends. I would really appreciate it. Um, and okay, have a great weekend.